So today we're gonna kickstart um, a new perfect height. That's wicked. Um, today we're gonna kickstart a new series um, called um, Epigenetics. We're looking at blessings and curses. Years and years ago, I was sitting in a meeting with a, a pastor friend of mine and we were having a chat and like I'm not being funny if you've known me for long or for a short period of time I've probably never had a conversation with you about blessings or curses it's not the kind of thing that I'm like yeah man let's chat let's let's bang this one around the ballpark it's not really a conversation starter that I tend to have but I remember we were sitting there I don't remember how it came up but I just remember him saying to me like oh well you know I don't really believe in all that kind of like um blessing curse then, you know, like curse the third and fourth generation, like I don't even believe that, do you? I can't remember looking at him kind of being like, well, um, yeah, kind of, kind of written there, can't completely ignore it, like, like, do you want to spin it somehow and kind of do that or, no, just, no, okay, not interested, fine, cool, sweet, awkward conversation, and I remember at the time, that kind of conversation taking place, and I remember going away from it thinking, well, well, I want to think about that some more. And so I kind of took some time just to chill out, just think about it, kept it in the back of my mind, didn't really do too much with it. And then I remember reading somewhere, I think it was in one of uh, New Scientist magazine, there was this article about our DNA, and it was saying how a vast percentage, roughly between, between 70 to 90%, depending on who you listen to and who you read from, um, state that we don't know that 70 to 90 percent of our DNA what it actually says what it's actually about what's actually in there and different types of scientists and different types of people have thrown out different ideas and one of the ideas has been well actually some of our DNA may be actually being written here and now by our actions by who we are what we do and um, I remember reading that and I thought that's incredible so I went out and bought a book on genetics um, and I thought, this is going to be great. And I remember reading it. It wasn't great. <laughs> Didn't really understand what was going on. Um, kind of most of it went way, way, way over my head. And um, it's in the garage in a cardboard box somewhere. Dying. And um, like this, the, the, towards the end of last year, I remember reading a, Guardian, a piece in The Guardian, which had basically this uh, lady in the States called... Rachel Yehuda, if that's how you pronounce her name, if not Rachel and you ever listen to this, I'm so sorry for butchering your name. Um, but she did a study and she basically looked at 32 Holocaust survivors, 32 Holocaust survivors. And within the 32, there was a variation of different things that they suffered. So for some of them, it was simply a case of they were in a concentration camp. For others of them, they were actively tortured. For others still, they saw people tortured. And the other category were those who were hiding the whole way through the Second World War. And the trauma that it caused to them, just hiding away every day, hiding, hiding, hiding throughout the war, straight to the end. And the trauma was, was there and evidenced um, for them to see. Now what they were trying to find in this study and what they were looking to prove was they were looking to look at the children and the DNA and the genetics of the children and their makeup to see if there was a similarity. So they looked at other um, Jewish people who hadn't, or other people who hadn't experienced any of the suffering of the, the Holocaust, any of those traumas, and their children, and they looked at the genetic code and makeup between these that had suffered and their kids, and what they found was for the first time ever, evidence 
and an argument based on real data and information that epigenetics was real, that what we do here and now and who we are can be passed on. Now, that would be me taking like a huge leap of faith and jumping on a complete and utter bias. So I read a few people that completely disagreed with the findings. And as I was reading through that, I saw something really, really interesting. He was saying it was very difficult to prove because with um, women, what happens is, um, say with Jodie, Jodie has Eden in her stomach and in the womb, <laughs> the stomach, yeah. My baby was born different from every other baby. <laughs> Came out the stomach. <laughs> in the womb, girls have all the DNA sequence for all the eggs they will have throughout their entire life, right there and then. So Eden's eggs and the DNA that she's gonna pass on was there straight away before she's even entered this world. For men, it's totally different. We're creating um, fresh, fresh sperm, fresh batches, every, every time, you know, fresh, you know, we should, we should market that really, shouldn't we? Just like sushi, it's marketed, made freshly today. Well, thanks for not trying to poison me. I don't see why that's a sale, a selling point, but okay, if you think fresh fish is a good idea as a selling point, I think that's whack. I don't think anyone would buy sushi that isn't fresh. But that's an aside. Men are producing fresh sperm, and so the DNA is from that moment. So what he was saying is, to prove it when we look at women and, and their offspring for this connection to be justified, actually it's premature to come to this conclusion. We should be looking at what he said, the fourth generation. And so when I read that and I just heard that phrase in the argument against it, I was like, slap. That wasn't a good slap. I have too much beard, but I would have slapped myself harder if I didn't have facial hair. And so as I read this, that it reminded me of a spiritual tradition. It reminded me of something written thousands and thousands of years ago, which I want us to look at today. So if you look in your Bible at Exodus chapter 20, what we have here is, is the Ten Commandments. Now, if you've ever heard me speak about the Exodus narrative, if you've ever heard me speak about the Jewish children, the Jewish people, the children of Israel, suffering in slavery, if you've ever heard me talk about it, you will have heard me make one statement, which I say time and time again. I've said it at conferences, I've said it at different churches, whenever I've mentioned Egypt, I've said it here tons of times. I've managed to get away with it until today. I've said it loads of times and not one person has ever walked up to me afterwards and gone, uh, what, did you, what did you mean by that? And I'm amazed I've got away with it because literally um, I've said things in churches and people have come up to me and gone um, and asked me what I had for breakfast after a talk. I've had people come up to me and just start talking to me about like, I don't know, sexual immorality. I'm like, wasn't really talking about that, but glad you came up to ask about it because it was so connected with what I just said. I have people come up to me and go, oh yeah, you know how you were talking about this and then they say something, I'm like, no, I have never spoken about that. Literally not even just today, never in my life, but I'm glad you felt like it. So I've always talked about God's law as his DNA, as the DNA, the DNA. So when I've talked about Egypt, what I've always said is the children of Israel suffered in slavery. I've talked about them in a sense where they've Got used to that. They've got used to their environment of slavery, just like you do in prison. You come all institutionalized. They come out into freedom. They don't know what to do with themselves. They have this new freedom. They don't know who they are, who they're supposed to be. 
And so God gives them what we call the law. And we look at it as the law is in do this, don't do this, don't do that. For them, it was building a whole new society. It was a whole new way to live that was alien to people who'd suffered in the slavery and such oppression where they'd seen a whole generation of boys murdered before their eyes, their offspring. And they were traumatized by this. And so when they come out of Egypt, they don't just carry on and try and do whatever they do. They receive this instruction at Mount Sinai, which they call the law. They also call in the Psalms this instruction. They meditate day and night. But I've come to talk about it as his DNA. And the reason I talk about it as the DNA that God gives them is because he's giving them a whole new identity, a whole new way that he wants them to be. And in this, these Ten Commandments, and way more than ten, by the way, it goes on a bit. I'm not going to lie, but we're not going to look at it all a bit. It starts off in chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he makes his case of why he's doing this. It's all because of the slavery they suffered. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself craved images or the likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your, your God and a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and to the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments so here in the law he just throws this one bomb out there and so for me I find it really interesting because when we talk about things as a society and when we look at the scriptures in, in, from a western society we always look at these kind of verses, the things that are said, and I see a lot of guys writing things, tearing old traditions to shreds that they know nothing about, tearing apart things. I've sat with atheist friends of mine who have laughed their heads off the law of God, saying how out of date it is, how antiquated it is, slamming it in conversation. Whilst we live in a society that pays black people one thing, white people another, women one thing, males another. I'm like, go home, you're drunk, it's ridiculous. <laughs> You're cussing something thousands of years old while we're still living in something and doing nothing about it right here and now. The argument of looking at this and criticizing this, when actually in here, so often when we read through the scriptures and traditions of the rabbis and how they interpreted, how they understood the scriptures and how they saw them, we find ourselves again and again and again and again. And I mean, when we look at it, a lot of the times I've seen guys write scientific, um, I've seen scientists looking at Genesis, the creation story, and writing and tearing it apart shred by shred, piece by piece. And yet I haven't seen a single one of them write anything about the Hebrew language it was written in. So it's like, great, you've read something, read something in English. Like, you wouldn't look at science without the equations. You wouldn't look at any of that without all those things and just see the journal and then just tear something apart. You'd have to know what it was about and how it was interpreted and how it was said. And in this, what we see is we see something here that God is saying that is at the very cutting edge of science at the moment where people aren't sure, where people aren't certain, and they're still looking at it. Yet here from the beginning, God is laying out to his people, guess what guys, it matters what you worship. It matters what you put first in your heart. It matters what you put first in your life. That if you don't get the right thing first in your life, if you don't get the right thing as your main priority, it's gonna affect not just you, it's gonna affect the next three to four generations. Because we play about with things thinking, I can do what the hell I want now, and we don't think about our kids. We don't think about the next generation or the one after that. And we think of a detachment. And I think one of the dangers that we have as Christians today is 
I think so often we just carry on with things the way they are, leaving things under the carpet, leaving things under the rug that we don't want to deal with, we don't want to face, thinking like, I can fix that later. But actually those issues that we want to leave under the carpet and face later aren't just going to affect me and you because we're going to pass it on in our DNA. We're going to be passing this down generation after generation after generation. It came about out of this law that what literally happened was they wanted to protect this. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, it talks about not marrying outside of the children of Israel. And so for us, when we look at that, we think about um, God barring interracial marriage, which would kind of screw up my life. Um, Just a tad. But when we look at that passage, what he says, he says, don't take wives from any of the other nations because you'll chase after their gods. It had nothing to do with race. It had to do with their DNA and keeping God first and center of who they are, that he needed them to pass down through the generations something good, something healthy and something that's of worth. Do you know what else was interesting the more I looked into DNA and genetics? Is that I read regarding cancer that that one of the professors said almost every single time cancer comes down to constant mutation and changing in the the genetic makeup in our DNA. I was like, wow. There are constant changing going on there. I believe, I believe personally, right here and now, when I read this passage and I look at what it is, I see a loving God who's looking at his people who are disconnected, a people that need healing, a people that need wholeness, a people that need health and wellness and life. And he's saying, guys, this is the way to go. This is it. We talk about it as his law and we see it as this heavy thing that punishes down on us. They saw it in the Psalms as instruction. I will meditate on his instruction day and night that I'm keeping God as the rhythm, I'm keeping him as the ebb and the flow for how I live, for who I am, that in him I will find life. It talks about his word is sweeter than honey, so I detest and turn from every other way. There comes this dude, way before any of this happened, um, called Abraham. And we see in Genesis chapter 22, a significant moment which gets connected to something that Paul writes later in Galatians. And what we read here in chapter 22 of Genesis, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took his two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to a place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said to him, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood is here but where on earth is the lamb for the burnt offering Abraham said God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering my son so they went both of them together when they came to the place of which God had told him Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood and bound up his son Isaac laid him on the altar on top of the wood then Abraham reached out his hand took the knife to slaughter his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven Abraham Abraham he said here I am do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him for I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your own son your only son from me Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by his horns 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel called, um, of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and the sand. (laughs) That is awesome. Uh, That's getting left in for the podcast. Um, I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham steps in. And he follows this. And then what you have is from here on out, God preserving this lineage, this DNA of a people that believe him, that trust him. And he tries to, he's trying to keep this going, trying to protect this whole lineage thing. And there's this one thing that Paul picks up on that the, the angel says to Abraham here. He says, through your offspring, which Paul, when he talks about in Galatians 3, says, through your seed, the nations will be blessed. Through your seed. And when we look at this story and we see this line and all we see is as good as Abraham is, as good as everyone is, we just see all these guys falling short, that these guys are pursuing the right way, they're going after God, they're going after his goodness, but they haven't quite got it. And then what happens is in the Gospels is we read of Jesus coming and being the way. And so I spoke to you guys earlier and I mentioned about why I call his instruction the DNA. It's because what happens is when we look at Jesus and we look at the Gospels, what it says about him is it says he said that which he heard his father saying and he did that which his father did. So he said it and he did it. His words and his actions matched up. He was completely unique from anyone else. They said, who is this man who teaches with authority? He spoke and things happened. He, did, he touched people's lives and they were healed and they were made whole. He restored them. Lepers who if you touch them, you would become unclean. He touched them and they were made clean. Their illness was gone. Their DNA was changed. I call it his DNA because Jesus is the living embodiment of God's word. And we saw in flesh and blood what it looks like when someone comes and lives out all that God has for them. And he came and lived this perfect life. And the beauty of it is, is that Paul talks about, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. That Christ became a curse for you and I, that we could live in freedom of God's blessings. That we inherit from him on a cross all the goodness that God had for us. That we get that because the word of God became flesh and blood. Because the DNA wasn't kept in print on paper. It wasn't kept chiseled on stone. It wasn't kept perfectly written on parchment on paper that was rolled up in a scroll to be left away. But God embodied everything he had ever spoken in his son Jesus. And he came and spoke the words, lived the words, did the actions that God has for you and I and the reason he did all of this the reason he did all of this is that you and I could be made whole that each one of us uniquely placed in our own failing hurt struggle fear failure disease pain illness he could heal he could make us whole and that through the one he loves notice it says in the law through the one who loves him and Jesus loved him with all that he was thousands of generations thousands of generations will be blessed but in Abraham's seed in the fine writings of the law and everything about God's goodness is all found in Jesus and that he wants 
you to live life where he can channel his blessings through us and that he is going to have blessings beyond our wildest imaginations. Our biggest challenge and our biggest problem is you and I listen to, we have one of two voices going in our lives most of the time. And the one we tend to listen to is the one that's here and the one that is screaming the loudest for our attention. Our problems, our fears, our failures, our worries, our concerns, our finances, and they're constantly screaming at us here. And sometimes I believe those things are there to distract us from resting in the blessings and the promises that God has for us. And what I want to say to us today is that I believe already that God has given everything he has for us, that we can receive it in his son Jesus that we need to stop listening to every other voice that is trying to sway us, that leaves us afraid, because each one of us has a different struggle we're going through, but that His peace and His blessings, He has for every single one of us. I'm going to pray for us today, and that'll be it for week one of our, our new series. Father, I thank You that You did not stay distant with an instruction and a DNA that You mapped out that was just left on parchment, that was left on stone. I thank you that you fleshed it out, that you came and you lived it in flesh and blood, that you lived in our place, that you died in our place, that we might receive the DNA that you have for us, that you call us to live different, you call us to be more. Father, you know every person here today. Father, you know us. You know the struggle, the pain, the hurts, and the challenges we face. Father, you know the failings that are habitual, the failings that keep us down. You know the past Um, failures that we've made that nag us and, and, and keep us and hold us in fear and in bondage. Father, we come today before you. We don't seek to worship any other God. We seek to put you first place in our lives, just like your law says. And we ask that through Jesus and what he has done for us, we and thousands of generations would receive your blessing. Would you meet with us and bring your peace that only you can give? today, Lord, by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.